Sutra 41, The Way of Life It seems there are many ways to experience reality, and somehow reality is always right here. After death, Mr. Kismet and Forgiveness stayed with me until my spirit was led by the eleventh Bhumi to a great sun door. The eleventh Bhumi was life, and all of existence together. Such a beautiful and perfect expression of creativity and magic, and so I wanted to stay with this Bhumi forever. As I sat beside her in front of the sun door, I had to think about what I wanted to ask. After everything I'd come to know and gone through, I suppose I was a bit overwhelmed since my last life had just passed. Do you want to pray? She asked. Pray? But I thought you pray to God when you need hope or strength to appear. I am God and life, so pray with me, not to me. I am right here. She paused and giggled. <laughs> the only mistake we can make in prayer is thinking that God is not there. Sometimes people think God has stopped talking to them, but what actually happens is that humanity stops listening. Take a deep breath and sink into this moment. Realize there is never anything that you're missing. Well, if we're going to pray, and since I'm talking to life herself, can you explain the rules of life, since it sounds like I'm going to go back and live with everyone else? The first idea to life is a very important rule, and it's that I give you the gift of life for free, and whatever you choose to do with life, by the end, as life, I will take everything back from you. In essence, you are free to live your life, but only if you accept this and agree, she said. Will you look at that? The ultimate gift of life doesn't cost a thing. As I looked at the giant sun door, I felt excitement as the eleventh Bhumi, who was the embodiment of the true nature of life, spread her giant wings. So are there other conditions? A lot of people forget the condition, that life is something you can't keep and you must give everything back. And for those who try to hold on to their mansions, cars, and money, well that's why I have an enforcer called Death that I send to work on my behalf. Death is liberation. It's the welcoming home into pure love, which is emptiness in space. It is the reunion, a celebration, and a rejoining back into the peaceful and heavenly state, she said. But Divine Mother, I've lived my last life as authentically as I can, and I didn't focus on wealth, get attached to money, but rather I tried to live in a genuine way. So why do others mock me as I lived as a simple man? Because they're shitheads. Because they filled their lives up with junk and stuff until their death. You all have the power of my universe and cosmos within you. This happens by the power of my holy breath, she said. But then why does sickness exist? Why does our health in a body eventually worsen? Why can't everything just be pure and peaceful? How can I make sense when I see people suffering or when cancer attacks a person? I don't see a sick person or an infected person or a dying person. I'm in oneness, so I'm just with them, not trying to fix them. 
We're just being ourselves, and I'm here with them until they wake up and remember it. Usually death is that awakening moment, and once you get through life and death, you realize that no one is excluded. And so when you see someone who's sick, suffering, or getting ready for death, I see a golden Buddha, she said. It was silent for a moment, since God was the smartest one to have ever existed. She was the ultimate servant, because the miracle of life is what she had come to give. With that being said, I myself, as the embodiment of life, am curious about human health care. These world leaders are really quite clueless as to how the spirit works. So let us come together and make that our prayer. She paused. And so I followed her while I brought my hands together in prayer over my spiritual heart. Beloved humans, I am not separate from you, your own body and mind, or the creatures and plants that are indeed living aspects of the nature of my truth. May you encourage healthy lifespans. May you release and let go of your prolonging of the misery of death. It seems there are spirit souls who are concerned over prolonging life when people are not feeling their best. May you cure the wicked health system that increases sickness. Why it seems the health system, food, and ingredients of the manufactured goods actually escalate disease. Why my world has been overtaken by merchants of death. And so I'm sending down an angel to protect my earth and restore peace. And for the humans with shit in their heads, may the current events be a reminder that you humans are not in control. It is our world together. We are one united soul. We pray for the world religions. Why, I think back to when the popes used to sell credits to the afterlife. May you wake up during these intense recent events. For the second coming is the spiritual self within. And so maybe this time you'll get aligned, eat properly, and teach the wisdom of life right. Finally, I pray to death. May we all learn to exercise the death that lives within us. Why death is not something to be feared but in death we can trust. If you want to practice death, practice allowing the bad habits to die. Practice allowing anger to die so that you can find peace. Practice by allowing your overeating and addiction to die. And you can even practice death by letting go of the old lies that the world calls holy beliefs so that the children of life can be at ease. Don't hide from death. Face it and you will become present. All fear is a fear of death. Remember that you are all spiritual beings that travel beyond the body after life, and so I will always see every creature, plant, and human as luminescent. Said the eleventh Bumi, I'd come to know his life. What is the way of our world? How come it seems the humans have lost this? They're only making a mess by trying to put things straight. You're trying to straighten out a wiggly world, and no wonder you get yourself in trouble. So you can't do anything. So you can't transform yourself. And what can you do? What happens then? If you actually realize you come to a dead end, or is there something else? What happens when you just wait, observe, and appreciate? There's nothing you can do, so you watch. All that life is, is that which goes on, and is happening of itself. You're breathing. The wind is blowing. The trees are waving. 
Your blood is circulating. Your nerves are tingling. Life is all going on of itself. So many forget that's you. The real you. The you that goes on of itself. She said. But is there a way to get free? If so, which way? Freedom is the way of life. But you must accept the fact that there is no help but self-help. I cannot help you gain freedom, since freedom exists within you, said the Bumi. Can I ask you about the state of our current world? So many people exist in hopelessness. Is this the end of it all? Is this the apocalypse? The end is the beginning, and the beginning is the end. The doorways between worlds open before the dawn at the sun door, and it's beyond what an individual can comprehend. Shamans see these current times as very exciting. After all, a phoenix knows that it must burn to the ground before its transformation rises. Trust that the shamans will dream us into a new world, a great world, a united world. So who knows what beauty is approaching over the horizon, she said. Then I suppose everyone makes it through life. Or does no one make it through life? The mortality rate is 100%. No one survives. But once you die, I always open the sun door for those who want to head back into life, she said. So in the way of life, it's free and it doesn't cost a cent. Then what is the value if nature doesn't cost anything? Let's just say it's heaven sent, she said. So no body or person pays for this life. But then why is humanity caught in such a sick system? They're obsessed with money, riches, and all sorts of stuff. It's because so few listen. I grow all the food. I give them all they'd ever need. But men have grown to become worse than the most wicked beasts as they give into their ego's excess and greed. Every excess becomes a vice, and so the wicked ones will pay the price. You see, the human man is an interesting species. That's why I call this great play the dance of life. You can live your life to the highest or lowest. You can crash and burn, or you can live life right. From Gandhi to Hitler, everyone is born with a genius, which could be called our demon. And this is the divine spirit that lives within. You can learn to unlock your greatest genius and become a saint. Or you could team up with your demon and run wild as you engage in all sorts of atrocities, debauchery, and sins. Will you discover the secrets of the universe and learn to harness the cosmos with your mind? Or will you get lost in the hoarding of material things and live your life spiritually blind? I don't judge, but rather I love watching the play. That's why I wait at the great sun door. I am the morning star and the bringer of the light and day, she said. Then each of our lives is the path upon the way of life. And in life, there is no way out. So we're all going to die. But is there teaching that will help us face death better to understand what the purpose of life is all about? Let me show you a few examples. First, we begin with all life upon the earth, which can be thought of as a practice to acquire fearlessness, courage, and bravery. And so you learn to challenge demonical beings. We are dealing with ghosts, spirits, and demons. 
So do not be afraid with what you are seeing, said the boomy. I'd already forgotten the question I asked, but before I could take it back, we entered into a great vision, where it went pitch black, as if assuming thousands of different shapes. I saw how beings of the spirit dwell in trees, rocks, valleys, lakes, springs, humans, animals, plants, and many other places. Some were bent on mischief, some were thieves of the vital breath, but I began to wonder if life was something like a great test. Some beings wander for pure pleasure across forests and high barren hills, and every life traveler risks being confronted by different spirits, be it a benevolent angel or a mad demon as they walk upon the road of life. As you feel into the space, you are in tune with what the medical world would call schizophrenia. You are feeling into the unreal, which is invisible to normal eyes, and so you are aware of all hidden phenomena. Not to say everything that you are feeling or aware of is absolutely true, for these visions may perplex the mind into states of disorganized speech, thinking, and delusions. But rather we can see this phenomena like a mirror as if it's reflecting aspects of me and you. A hallucination is seeing or hearing something that does not exist in the relative world. You may feel as if eyes are everywhere, watching from all around. And so this is the entry into the hidden world, which to normal humans is never found. If a human discovers this place, whether intentionally or unintentionally, it can shock them and overwhelm them and so they may get caught in psychosis, madness, or be extremely scattered mentally. Substances like psychedelics, DMT, or even herbs like cannabis can bring a human to roam in this space. And although the human eyes cannot perceive it, the senses and mind can wander around freely in this place. And if a soul finds themselves stuck, the best advice I can give is the Eightfold Path. This will teach you how to tame the mind, and then you can return to normal human life at last. Now some people come here on purpose, and great lessons can be learned. This is the place where all karma is kept, where miracles can occur, said the Bumi. How? Through the pineal gland, which is the inner eye. It's at the very center of the brain, and DMT is naturally created within the human body by design. DMT is naturally released in three aspects of life, when we are born, during childbirth, and when we die. In essence, it is the spark or flash of the soul that carries us throughout our lives. Great yogis cultivated this energy through wheels called chakras, and so they move this energy from the root of our spine, through the heart, and into the mind. They learn to ignite the pineal gland for powers, healing, and miracles. But much of this truth has been covered by the wicked and corrupt leaders as they seek to control mankind," said the Bumi. Beside me was life herself, and she was the great magician. As long as I had time with her, then I would try not to speak and only to listen. With the gaze of her eye, she could subdue any spirit and there were dangerous neighbors that she turned into obedient servants with a snap of her fingers. 
Wherever she walked, a glowing trail of light and stardust would linger. There were many sorcerers who tried to compete with this art, but whenever the Earth Boomy walked by, they would bow, for she was the incarnation of the cosmic heart. Most of the humans we passed were unaware of psychic training. They were clueless as to the power of the mind and spirit, and all the decent sages bowed in respect to the Boomy, and it was easy to tell which ones were wicked because they had come to fear her as she posed a great risk. See, this is a sort of challenge, something we're willing to endure. Maybe it could be viewed as a falling out, but you mustn't be afraid when you live a life that is pure. Though these next rites are very different from the concepts of life that we first spoke about, though they may appear ridiculous or even repugnant, according to our ideas as celestial beings, their purpose is useful or lofty, such as liberation from fear, awakening feelings of boundless, practical compassion, leading to complete detachment, and finally, to spiritual illumination, said the Bumi. There we walked into the valley of darkness and shadows, and as it happened, it was not infrequent that innocent men and women would stumble upon the Bumi and recognize her. Lama, said the innocent man as he bowed and touched her feet. Then the Bumi touched his forehead as he began to glow, for his entire way of life would change, and his spiritual eye was open to knowledge he had never come to know. I could see into his future, and now he would be led into a spiritual life. He begged the Bumi to be a disciple, and so I could see that he had new inspiration to live life right. Some simpletons were turned away and sent back to their villages, while the Bumi gave them good advice regarding morality and the practice of goodwill towards everyone. Some of them came closer to progressing towards enlightenment and would be well favored by the teachings. Then came a man who was very sick and ill, and he begged the Bumi and said, Great Lama, there must be a cure for the sickness that has been instilled. Of course. Do you see that solitary gloomy ravine? It is supposed to be haunted by evil, non-human beings. Go tie yourself to the sacrificial tree or to a rock at night. Then call upon the ferocious spirits and let them feast upon you. However terrified you may feel, be compelled and bind yourself to the tree until sunrise. After that, the sickness will die. The man was so desperate and so he followed the great Bumi's command. And as we walked away, I did not quite understand. Will he be cured? Sure. Sometimes the disciples must remain bound for three days and three nights, or even longer. By fasting, sleeplessness, and experiencing the conditions of utter weariness and starvation can usher in hallucinations. You've heard of cancer. Well, think of how it works. Cancer is part of an individual person's body, but the cancer's behavior has turned berserk. The cancer cells don't realize that in order to survive, they need a host itself to live. The rest of any organism is constructed in a way in which all the cells work together to keep the host alive. Cancer can be beat, but you have to trick or convince the cancer cells to realize that they themselves must push for the host's survival 
and so the cancer cells can learn to undergo their own suicide. If the cancer or sickness doesn't cooperate, there are many medical methods that may help. And for the man who went off into the dark, he's facing death to kill the parts of him that are feasting off his own higher self. Take a moment and imagine the earth. There are many people who behave similar to cancer. They have forgot that we need to coexist with the earth. Otherwise, they are killing the land they live upon because they don't understand her. What is happening upon the earth today is a purging. And so the earth and its people will ultimately be all right. But in order to get rid of the infected cells, we've got to convince the wickedness to kill itself by the way in which they fight. When the dust settles, the planet and beings will come back into harmony. Do not be afraid. The spirit of all goes on eternally, said the Bumi. But why would they die? It's not right. It's life. And all those who die are killed by their own fear. If countries fight in battle, it's because they've lost sight of their own peaceful nature, and so they will die by war. The vision of life and creation is of our own imagination. She who does not believe in demons will not be killed by them. He who becomes a wicked demon will be devoured by a wicked demon. He or she who faces the wicked demon, slays it or overcomes it, will become a great leader or healer. She said. I felt astonished by the words that she spoke. Visualizing mental formations, either voluntarily or not, is a most mysterious process. What becomes of these creations? May it not be that like children born of our flesh, these children of our mind separate their lives from ours, escape our control, and play parts of their own? Must we also consider we are not the only ones capable of creating such formations? And if such entities exist in the world, are we not liable to come in touch with them, either by will of their maker or from some other cause? Where we place our attention and energy is where our awareness grows. Whatever you think, you create. Whatever you feel, you attract. Whatever you imagine, you become, she said. Just then we approached a gathering, and every single eye here was set upon the boomy. Do not be afraid, my dear. Nothing will hurt us, she said. What is this? The dreadful mystic banquet, she said. Dreadful? Why? Think of it like the exercise grounds for mental wrestling with occult adversaries, said the Boomy. Now she revealed a drum with two small stones that were tied to the sides. As she twisted her drum from a pole, the two stones would beat the drum from side to side. This fantastic practice is called chud, or cutting off. It is a kind of mystery played by one actor or celebrant, and it has been cleverly devised to terrify beginners. If you ever do this practice, you must do this under an honorable and wise teacher. I've heard of men who have suddenly gone mad or died while engaging in this performance, said the Bumi. Although this was a banquet, I also believed this was a cemetery or a wild site whose physical aspect awakened feelings of terror. Yes, this is the spot, said the Bumi. What are we doing? 
It looks like these spirits want to eat you, I whispered. Chud is designed to stir up the occult forces or the conscious beings, according to Tibetans, which may exist in such places, having been generated by either actual deeds or by the concentration of people's thoughts on imaginary events. What follows is that during the performance of Chud, which I compare to a drama enacted by myself as the actress, we see that I am surrounded by players of occult worlds who begin to play unexpected roles. Whatever parts or visualizations may be produced through this phenomena are deemed excellent for the good result of the training. But the test does prove too hard for nerves of some apprentices, and therefore it can lead to the accidents I mentioned, like madness or death," said the Bumi. Then why are you doing this? Like any great artist or actress, if you want to perform Chud, you must learn the role of the heart. First we practice the ritual dance. The steps form geometrical figures, and also turning on one foot, stomping and leaping, while keeping time with liturgical recitation. Finally, we learn to handle, according to rule, the bell, the dorje, and the magic dagger, or porba, to beat the drum rhythmically and to blow the trumpet made of a human femur bone, she said. And as I watched her perform this, I saw that this task was not easy, and I even lost my breath as she danced. This llama was a teacher who directed the sound and rhythm much like a ballet master. But around her, the spirited beings began to get a crazed look in their eyes as they licked their lips and gazed upon her bountiful form. They were preparing to attack, and so I had to stand far back. Boomy Davy, what are you doing? They're coming to hurt you. They are preparing themselves, as they think, for a perilous undertaking, and the thought of the dreadful banquet is an offering of the body to be devoured by the hungry demons that haunts the mind, she said. Them? It looks like you're going to get devoured. A moment later, she winked. Then she celebrated by blowing through the human trumpet bone. At once the horde and masses of empty spirits leapt onto the boomy and began devouring her. I give my flesh to the hungry, my blood to the thirsty my skin to clothe those who are naked, and my bones as fuel to those who suffer from cold. I give my happiness to the unhappy ones. I give my breath to bring back the dying to life," she said. The act of this mystery began as a red meal, followed by a black meal, and once there seemed to be nothing left, the vision of the demonical banquet vanished, and the laughter and cries of the ghouls died away. Utter loneliness in a gloomy landscape succeeded the weird orgy and the exaltion of the dramatic sacrifice. Boomy Davy, Mother of Earth, why would you let them devour you? Divine Mother, you must come back. And so I fell to my knees to pray. Then a single tear fell from my eye and rolled down my cheek. Pray with me, not to me. I am right here. She whispered and giggled. As soon as the teardrop touched the ground, the goddess appeared. Like I said, the only mistake we can make in prayer is thinking that God is not there. Remember, 
When people think God has stopped talking to them, it is you who have stopped listening. Take a deep breath. I have not gone missing, she said. At once, Bumi Devi arose from the darkness as the greatest light the world had ever seen. As a feminine deity, I saw Tara in her 21 forms, which personified our will together. And so she sprung forth from the top of my head and stood before me with a sword in hand. Bumi Devi, I don't understand. The shadow is the greatest teacher of how to come to the light. I don't ask for suffering, but when it comes along, it certainly turns out to be grace, she said. From there, she pulled us high into the universe as we rose back up to the sun's great door. Looking down upon the earth, why the entire land was with her, and with just one strike of her magical dagger, an earthquake rattled until she withdrew her sword. I give them my body. I give rivers and breath. The sacrifice we offer to life is exactly what we get back. Everything you give is what you will receive, and so I give everything to the people, creatures, and plants of earth so that they have no other needs. I feed every being, no matter if they are wicked or righteous. But let me tell you the one great truth. No one will ever conquer the earth, no matter who tries to fight it. I am that great mother. I am the one who gives up my body so that the children of life may grow. I am her, Bumi Devi, and so Taramandala is where you will find me, if you will go," she said. With that teardrop, I saw the clouds upon earth began to rain. How could anyone understand the path of life? Why, if they had heard me speak this in truth, they'd call her and I insane. But I believe in her, and she believes in me. In union together, the soul is always free. Before you depart upon your new life, I want to show you one more story. And so we will go back to the original garden where the story takes the form of an allegory," she said. And so in an instant, without moving, we traveled to an ancient past, the Garden of Eden, long before the rest of humanity amassed. It was pure and perfect, and there I saw a being with wings, overlooking the people, creatures, and plants. You are he. Lead us to return back to this garden. This is your duty. Do this until it is finished," she said. What happened to this great garden? The masculine stole my fruit. They tried to profit off my land. But I am her, Tara, and the earth is my mandala. And I can wipe the people off the planet with just a single swing of this sword in hand. Thus I have heard that some humans realize the soul is equal, but they say that the marketplace is not. And so it is the humans that have created this wicked system that benefits the fortunate, the privileged, and the wealthy. But I own them, and this is something they have long forgot. Few people have billions, while the majority of the world is in debt. Dear Billionaire Boys Club, better fix it quick, because I'm waiting to devour you after death. You take what I offer the world for free, and you mark up the prices, you manipulate the people, the industries, and cheat the markets. While the world is starving, you cruise around the world 
on your mega yachts and private planes, committing rape and sexual abuse on private islands, you ought to be more careful because in time you're going to feel my rage. The world leaders are sick. They make me want to scream and destroy the human man. But I'll let death take them. Or if they don't fix what they started, then I'll erase everyone from the land. They think they're so brilliant, using intellect to hoard money, creating pyramid schemes and business models that create so much waste and plastic goods, all to increase profit and money. Meanwhile, the children of life are dying for help. So many are stuck in suffering. Of course, there are a brave few billionaires who are decent men, but very soon, there will be a massive restructuring. You buy all the good land so that you keep the market in control. What happens if I rock your world? Then you'll never forget the power of one girl. Don't you dare test me. Don't you go hiding on your private islands. If you don't clean up the disaster you've created, I'll burn everything. In the books of the generation of Isis, which was the great earth woman, they changed my story and that is why they are forbidden. Where I planted bountiful fruit, they planted a story of human shame. The men wrote that humans were sinful, but rather humans are just a body, and all souls are the same. If they could see our true nature, the garden would flourish. I will lead you, and those who do not listen will perish. She said, And so you said it's time for a new life. Is that right? Yes. But aren't you curious how it's designed? We should explain what life really means. So to start, life is like a dream, but the way of life is always open, and so it is not quite as it may seem. She said, why isn't life as it seems? Before we proceed, can you tell me what you used to think of death? I used to fear death, like a lot, and maybe I still do. Sometimes I can overthink so much until my skin turns pale as a panic attack ensues. Paranoia is wisdom trapped by fear, she said. How is there wisdom in paranoia or panic? The wisdom is that it's highly intelligent. It doesn't miss a thing. It's on the spot. It's alert. It picks up on everything. Picks up on security and insecurity. The fear is there because we're exposed, we're vulnerable, we are tender, we ask if we will be okay, we wonder if we can pull this off. Fear can make us turn aggressive, and if the world appears like a threat, try and remember it's actually inviting. Trust in what the universe is trying to show you. So if you panic, take it as a sign and symbol that your ego may be leading you where you are not meant to go," she said. But how is it inviting? I invite you into the true nature of reality within this exact moment. It's inviting you to find the open way of life. In order to find the way of life, we must first experience self-deception of our ego as it is, and so we have to expose ourselves completely. The approach to the open way of life lies in the experience of exposing oneself and opening oneself to life, being what you are presenting your positive and negative qualities to your spiritual friends and working your way through it. Can you picture a flower? No one tells a rose, a lily, or a daffodil 
how it must bloom. But rather it has inherent intelligence and it knows. It is totally vulnerable in the wild. And it even knows that in time it will die and its petals will be consumed. But still, my flowers bloom. It grows to show that there is inherent wakefulness within life that the soul always knows. The problem lies in the fact that we are always trying to secure ourselves, to reassure ourselves that we will be alright. But death is the truth, and it always comes in life. We are constantly looking for something to hang on to, and this grasping creates suffering. Paranoia is often the ego's attempt to secure itself, and it's as if the seer within is pulling us along a different way. It's as if it's guiding us to the open way of life. But that struggle between the seer, or the higher self, and the ego creates a sense of friction. That friction can manifest as paranoia, panic, and anxiety. She said. But sometimes in life, we may even punish ourselves by trying to find the way when we can't seem to find it. We try to get it, and even if we try to avoid self-deception of the ego, we may try to force our way into a certain path or a trajectory, but in time, we keep finding that the chain reaction goes on and on and on. It's the chain reaction of overlapping paranoia. What do you make of this? Is there a right way? Having discovered the ego's way of self-deception, we suffer from tremendous paranoia and self-criticism, which can be helpful. It is good to experience the hopelessness of ambition, of trying to be open, of trying to cheer ourselves up, because this prepares the ground for another type of attitude towards spirituality. The whole point we are trying to get at is this. When are we really going to open? Really open. This is how we bloom. She said. So how do we do it? I'm afraid each of us has to go through this journey individually. Some may seek enlightenment in a frenetic manner. Some may be convinced that there is a path for them, but they believe something is wrong, and they have to work on their self, and they find themselves in a chain of overlapping defeats. Okay, what's next, they may ask. They become so busy and obsessed, and so they pray, meditate, and ask, do you have any suggestions? But I say, I can't give you an immediate solution, because I don't know your problem. And so I ask, which part of you does not function? What parts of you do not work? They may say that they aren't getting any results. You see, each time they try to work their way out, as all the teachers and gurus tell them to do, they try and try and try. But there doesn't seem to be an end to the problem. Things may keep going wrong. They may try a new diet a new practice, a new meditation, as much as they can do to achieve more, faster, and better. But the same familiar problems can come back again and again. They may say, maybe I have bad karma, or maybe it's because I'm the black sheep, and maybe I need to go on a pilgrimage to India and fall upon my knees. They may even say that they need to make a sacrifice. They say they could starve themselves, they may be willing to take up any vow because they really want to get it. They ask if there are any books. They say, isn't there some medicine? And they may even say, 
I'm in terrible shape. I'm in despair. Weeks and weeks could go by, and they keep examining. But it can be the same and same again. So what is wrong? In fact, nothing is wrong at all. This attempt at trying to get over something, or to get somewhere, is in itself wrong. Because it's such an intense concentration on one's own self, on one's ego. Now there is a key to get out of this prison of the ego, and it is called compassion. We must first develop compassion for ourselves, then for others, and after that, the open way of life begins. Compassion in this sense is the idea of clarity which contains fundamental warmth. You can trust everything, and you can begin to trust yourself and have a compassionate attitude. If something bad happens, be open to what it is showing you. And if something good happens, be open to what it is showing you. Compassion in this sense is not feeling sorry for someone, but it is basic warmth. Whatever you are doing in life, it is not regarded as mechanical drag, but life is a delightful and spontaneous thing to do. It is the continual act of making friends with yourself, said the Bumi. And I heard that in order to have a friend, you've got to be a friend. Right. And when you become friends with yourself, you can share that relationship with the world. So compassion becomes a bridge to the world outside. Trust and compassion for oneself brings inspiration to dance with life and to communicate with the energies of the world. Lacking this kind of inspiration and openness becomes the path of confusion and desire. A constant grasping for things which leads to suffering. Because when you get what you want, you end up suffering because eventually you must let it go. And when you don't get what you want, you suffer because your wants aren't fulfilled. But when we are open, we find a sense of contentment of whatever comes. If something comes, let it come. If it goes, let it go. Otherwise, one remains trapped in the desire to improve oneself and the desire to achieve imagined goals. If we feel we cannot achieve the goal, we suffer despair and self-torture of unfulfilled ambition. Compassion has nothing to do with achievement at all. It is spacious and very generous. The spaciousness and generosity is like sitting with a dying person. There is nothing to gain, but you are there, and there is a possibility for warmth among such an excruciating situation. When a person develops real compassion, it is without direction, without the idea of it's for me or for them. It is filled with joy, spontaneously existing joy, in the sense of trust, in the sense that joy contains tremendous wealth and richness. We could say that compassion is the ultimate attitude of wealth, and the anti-poverty attitude is a war on wants. Compassion contains all sorts of heroic, juicy, positive, visionary, and expansive qualities. It is the attitude that one has been fundamentally rich, rather than one must become rich. When we look at the sun and say, I am rich. When we drink water and say, I am rich. When we sit with friends and say, we are rich. When we look at life, pause, reflect, and observe, and say, I am rich. With this attitude, each time you are faced with a difficult task or situation, it presents itself as a delightful opportunity 
to demonstrate your richness and your wealth. There is no poverty at all in this approach to the open way of life, said the Bumi. So the way of life is about being open to life and even to death, I suppose. The path to the open way of life starts with tremendous generosity and openness, which is the surrendering process. Look at my life as I embody the earth. The reason I am so giant and huge is because of what I give. As earth, I am a precious jewel of our universe because I let people, plants, and animals feast upon me in order to live. Openness is not a matter of giving something to someone else, but it means giving up your demand on the basic criteria of the demand. It is learning to trust the fact that you do not need to secure your ground, and so we learn to trust in our fundamental richness, and we can afford to be open. This is the way of life. If we give up our physical attitude of demand, then basic health begins to develop. Having opened, having given up everything without reference to the basic criteria of I am doing this or I am doing that, then other situations with maintaining ego or collecting becomes irrelevant. That is the ultimate morality and it intensifies the situation of openness and bravery. You are not afraid of hurting yourself or anyone else because you are completely open. The same as my wildflowers. Here, you do not feel uninspired by situations, which brings patience, and patience leads to energy. Then you do not regard any outside situation as separate from you, and so you become so involved with the dance and play of life. The more open you become, the more you do not regard anything as being rejected or accepted. You are just going along with each situation. You experience no warfare of any kind, neither trying to defeat an enemy nor trying to achieve a goal. So the main theme of the open way of life is that we begin to abandon the basic struggle of ego, to be completely open, to have that kind of absolute trust in yourself is the real meaning of compassion and love. And so I think of Christ. Christ said, love thy neighbor. But how do we do it? How are we going to radiate our loving hearts over the whole of humanity? Many people would have conditions and say, I'm willing to give this much of my money or this much of my energy. But yet Christ opened all the way until there was nothing left, said the Bumi. I hear what you're saying, but when you put it like that, well, life is really quite the dance. I'm not sure if I have that much love to give. Are you sure the open way of life is best? Perhaps this will put off a lot of people. But I'm afraid love is not really the experience of beauty and romantic joy alone. Love is associated with ugliness and pain and aggression, as well as with the beauty of the world. It is not just the recreation of heaven. Love, or compassion, is the way of life. It is associated with what is. In order to develop love, universal love, cosmic love, one must accept the whole situation of life as it is both the light and the dark, the good and the bad. One must open oneself to life, to communicate with it. Often the basic problem is that we are involved with trying to prove something or to make it our way, which is connected with paranoia and the feeling of poverty. When you are trying to prove or to get something, you are not open anymore. 
You have to check everything. You have to arrange it correctly. It is quite the paranoid way to live, and really does not prove anything. One might try to set records in terms of numbers and quantities, that we have to build the greatest, the biggest, to show that we have collected the most, the longest, the most gigantic. But who is really going to remember that record when you are dead? Or in 100 years? Or in 10 years? Or in 10 minutes? The fact is that so many people are focused on their own self and their own ego that it won't matter. The records that count are of presence in the given moment, of the now. So what matters is the communication and openness that is actually taking place now, said the Bumi. But I don't know if I can do it. You want me to go back to life? What if I'm not strong enough? What if I lose sight? I've seen you thrive in the darkest times, and I want you to know that you are pure magic. What you have endured will allow you to provide medicine to the world. Live this life, and you will embody alchemy of the psychosomatic, she said. But what are the other options? Is there another way? Of course, paused the Bumi. Live to die, or never see another day. There behind us, opposite of the great sun door, was an opening into the beyond, and it was dark, empty, and there was no dawn. This was the absence of life, and it seemed even worse than death. And now I began to see how the open way of life was pure magic because of everything that we get to feel, and so all of us are truly blessed. To live is to be brave, and this means we are willing to awaken to the innate power of the ultimate. It is this power that increasingly overwhelms the finite self with the infinity of totality. This journey, such an epic story of one soul, becomes something that moves us in the heart and cannot be reduced to having an idea in the mind. The power which moves the heart is called Shakti, and this vibration is Spanda, or the vibration of my universe. Finally, when the experience of realization matures sufficiently, the soul comes to the startling assertion and states, I am Shiva, I am the All. And as your goddess, as the Bhumi, I plead with you to relate with this great secret so that you may obtain this I. Not the I of the ego, but rather the I of infinity. Look at the spelling of life. It has one I. This is the I within it. As soon as this is known, the power of consciousness penetrates into the level of awakened consciousness and obtains, goes, knows, the state of identity, the state of fullness of the higher self, the state of oneness. The rejoining or relinking back into the divine is the true purpose of the open path of life. Anyone who obtains this results in two kinds of contentment. The first occurs as the result of absorption and results in the attainment of magical powers. The second kind of contentment is brought about by the achievement of the condition of conscious heartfelt realization and results in the attainment of life freedom. The attainment of the heart corresponds to the attainment of the liberating power of Shiva, which grants freedom and unveils the ultimate reality. This is the highest religious goal implied by the phrase of conscious realization. The attainment of liberation 
can only happen while living in life, which is a heart-filled realization of the innermost self. Thus, the living being becomes the sovereign lord or universal monarch of all conscious subjects and is the fit recipient for the knowledge of the Supreme. This liberation occurs because grace has entered into a person, and so the person receives the supreme descent of energy from the intense power that develops from a constant practice of absorption, the practitioner is allowed to express their own self through whatever form of divinity is desired. This person experiences the many aspects of divinity as residing in the identity within their own body. And yet, even at the end of this long journey, it is clear that we have barely touched the surface of this rich tradition, said the Bhumi. To live or to expire, to feel nothing or to feel something, to tap out or to reach into the well of existence to see if we can relink humanity with divine blessings, to be or not to be, that is the question. I turned away from the void. It was not just I, but there was a certain feeling that heaven and earth should be joined. There before us, the cats and I walked forward and turned the handle upon the great sun's door. Well, I wonder what's in store. The journey's mythic end is the sun. The shaman flies through the sun door to the realm of the eternally awakened consciousness. The very act of sacrifice into the sun's fire of initiation makes it possible for the sacrificed one to enter the realm of the immortal. The solar region is beyond time and space. Those who have died and been reborn have realized the dual unity of the mortal and immortal aspects of human existence. The fire of transformation burns away all that is transient. The raw sun then receives the immortal's liberated spirit. In many mythologies, the father above is the sun, yet sometimes the sun is seen as feminine. But all in all, it's all one. Sub-ek. The shaman's transformation via fire into a master of fire allows for a parallel transformation of the beginner shaman into a soaring bird, a sunbird, and a return to the source. Mortal and immortal, human and animal, piercing the dual unity, the shaman becomes not only a solar traveler, but also a vehicle of fire, said the Bumi. Just as we enter the door, Bumi Devi spoke through the rays of great light. Here I am. Behold me. I am the sun. Behold me, said the Bhumi. I open my arms to embrace her. Now that the sun door has received the sacrifice shaman, it is the very gate that opens within when the psyche is deeply awakened. The illuminated ones are often depicted with halos or auras shimmering around their heads and bodies. Here the wakefulness of the sun has been interjected and internalized. The inner light has been revealed through the action of a self-achieved submission. The external sun, in effect, has consumed the body of the sacrificed one, whose bones are held in the embrace of the sun vessel. Sacrifice to the sun is a celebration that honors all life. In the art of sacrifice, sacredness is accomplished for nothing returns to its former state once given up. The shaman is self-slain 
through the surrender of all that is transient, becoming like a great field that is plowed, ripped open for seeds to be planted. Raw sun and domesticated fire are one in essence. Slayer and slain are one. As such, the mastery of fire is the shaman's play with the absolute. Shamans and wizards over the world relate directly to fire as a demonstration of this mastery and a manifestation of their faith. The relationship between friction, combustion, fire, heat, and light is the equivalent of the initiation process and its outcome. Again, we think of tapas, which means to heat oneself. The shaman is the one who has been heated through the friction of modulation and in the burning process has become pure light, said the Bumi. Crystals and rainbows were pictured here. This crystal was a powerful object, which had encoded within it the soul of my deceased life, which would come into a new form. Your light becomes an instructor to the living humans and shamans, one who gives power and light. The rainbow performs much the same function in the sense that it is a bridge to the other world. Through self-sacrifice, the shaman is able to cross the bridge to the realm of the divine and God. The shaman is the supreme master of fire and is the embodiment of heat so fierce that its spiritual luminescence is associated with both purity and knowledge. Every shaman will feel an illumination within his or her own body, in the inside of the head or brain, something that gleams like fire, that gives the power to see with closed eyes into the darkness, into the hidden things, or into the future, or into the secrets of another man or woman. The longing for illumination on the part of those overwhelmed by darkness opens the way of life, and so the journey begins. The shaman and the seer drink from the dangerous cup of immortality to know death as life and life as death. What was vulnerable and wounded is now immortalized and is celebrated, said the Bumi. And there I saw it, the return to the people. The mythic journey climaxes in the solar realm. The life journey for a holy one culminates in the realm from paradise to society. The shaman's vocation focuses on the people, and to stay too long in the realm of God can make the return impossible. Through the encounter with death and the knowledge of the pairs of opposites, the shaman has attained the wisdom of two worlds. It is one. It is a unity. It is ourselves. The shaman, through sacred action, reveals this unity. It is the way of compassion that opens in the course of this revelation. The shaman is then a master of play, dancing, and chanting that heals human suffering. And through these acts, the people are awakened from the nightmare of sickness to the dream of paradise. Playfulness and absurdity sharply rouse and awaken the slumbering ones. The beauty of poetry and the ferocity of keen wisdom remind the forgetful ones. Compassion and poise heal the sick and diseased ones. The world is revealed, remembered, and celebrated," said the Bumi. While I stood there in the sun's door, I saw more than I can tell, and I understood more than I saw. For I was seeing into a sacred manner the shapes of all things in the spirit, and the shape of all shapes as they must live together like one being. I am that, 
but I cannot even say what that is. Freedom is open-ended. It is undetermined. Remember, what you give is what you get. However you serve is what you deserve. Take on the greatest beast and you will become the greatest leader. Take on the evil in the world for me and I'll let you have access to my powers of eternity," said Boomy Davy. People say, walking on water is a miracle, but to me, walking on the earth is the real miracle. The earth herself is a miracle. Each step is a miracle. 